Our passage this morning that Billy's going to be teaching is uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the book of Jonah, God calls the prophet to prophesy to the city of Nineveh. Now, I know we're in the book of Ephesians, just bear with me. Um... Now, I don't believe this is the first time Jonah has prophesied, because we see elsewhere in 2 Kings that Jonah was able to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel good news. And here, not here, but in the book of Jonah, God tells Jonah to prophesy some bad news to a very wicked city. And the only response we get is that Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Direction. Instead of going 500 miles east to Nineveh, Jonah gets on a ship and tries to go 1,000 miles west to Tarshish. Jonah gets up and he runs in the opposite direction. And we all know how well that turned out. Well, the, jo- the way that Jonah behaves is the way, it reminds me of, a, of, a, of the way a certain toddler behaves sometimes without naming names, one that I've known for almost three years. Um, Sometimes I'll stretch out my hands and I'll say, come here, buddy, I'll be real excited. And his response is to turn around and run away. One time he ran away from me and I I chased after him. He's running down the hall and there was a wall there. And I thought to myself, okay, there's a wall there. He's going to have to stop and I'll be able to catch him when he stops and turns around and he just kept going straight into the wall. And I just, I just thought, okay, this kid would rather run through a wall than obey me. Uh, even bedtime now. Bedtime is, is interesting. I understand if you've ever seen the, heard the Jim Gaffigan quote where he says, uh, bedtime is, or the joke, I mean, bedtime is a hostage negotiation in reverse Um, If you just stay in there, I'll give you whatever you want. (laughs) That's what bedtime is now. Well, whether we're young or old, or whether it's to the Lord or to our parents, uh, rebellion and disobedience seems to just run in our blood. Um, So today we'll be talking about the relationship between child and parents, and the roles that obedience, honor, and graciousness play in those relationships. So, before we get into the passage, of course, we're going to look at the context in which the passage lies. Um, So we have been studying the book of Ephesians, our series of the Worthy Walk. Um, I have titled this sermon today, A Call to Obedience and Graciousness, Grace Ideals in the Family, continuing that theme of grace ideals that Ken gave us in the last few sermons on Ephesians. 
So the first three, ver- first three chapters in Ephesians, again, are just are doctrinal, and they help us un- understand what we believe, and then the last three chapters help us live out and walk those beliefs. So we're to walk in love, walk in unity as one under Christ. We're walking holiness, laying aside our, our old self and putting on our new self. We're to walk in the light, allowing ourselves to be filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine. And so being filled there means being led by the Spirit and not allowing other substances to lead us. Um, and finally, the last few sermons in, Ephesians have been focused on the marital relationships and how we can live um, that relationship according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to read uh, a part of the passage that we've been going through the past uh, three weeks, and that's Ephesians 25, or 5, 25 to 33. And it states, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is grave. I'm speaking with a reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So in that passage, um, which is a shorter version of what Ken went through, he went through the grace ideals of marriage. That these things, that are ideals that by the grace of God we can hope to one day achieve. And we can strive to achieve. He talked about how the husband's are the head of the household and the head of the wives, like Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, the husbands have the responsibility of being the spiritual leaders of the family. The spiritual well-being of our families is the responsibility of the husband. The husband is called to love his wife in the way in which Christ loved the church, sacrificially, every day. Sacrificial love that is seeking the well-being of his wife is more important than his own needs. The wife is to submit to the husband in his leadership of spiritual well-being of his family and to participate and encourage him in the direction he takes them. So these truths are universal and timeless, but the way they work themselves out will differ from culture to culture, and from family to family. So with this, these things in mind, we uh, go into our text. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, that we just read to you. So let's look at verse 1. Says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In your bulletin, we have the call for children to do what is right. Okay, so we spent three weeks in uh, the last passage because it is so deep and big, and there was just a lot to address. And in this passage, uh, we will not be spending three weeks. Hopefully, just one. We'll see. But. Um, in this passage, in that passage, Paul is talking to wives and husbands, and now he uh, goes to a different audience, children, children and their parents. Um, uh, the word for children here is tekna. Um, it is uh, a word that 
I think in this context refers to dependent children. Um, so the children are dependent, but Paul is addressing them specifically, so they're old enough to understand and comprehend the concepts that Paul is teaching them. So we don't have infants and toddlers in mind here. Um, it says, children obey your parents, mother and father. <coughs> so the word techna, children can refer to all offspring, and it has before earlier in the book of Ephesians, but here um, it, the word, I think, respond, is re- referring to children who are dependent and still under the sphere of authority of their parents. So next, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord. So Paul begins the section with the imperative for children to obey their parents. Again, uh, these children are still dependent, but old enough to exercise their free will. The word obey here means to hear with attentiveness and respond positively. It means to put yourself in uh, submission of your parent. Now, if you want your child to obey you and practice that submit, submissiveness, um, this isn't mentioned explicitly, explicitly in this text, but really the best way to do that is to be a model to them of submissiveness. Submit yourself to the Lord. That means, fathers, you should be submitting yourself to the Word of God and sacrificing your needs for the needs of your family. Mothers, you should be doing the same thing and submitting yourself to the spiritual leadership of your husbands. So the best way to teach submissiveness and obedience to your children is to do it yourself. So while the child is being obedient to his parents, parents must also remember their roles as well, as mentioned in the end of chapter 5. But not all parents will be modeling that example. There are exceptions. So are there exceptions to obedience? I think there are. Um, Paul, again, is speaking to believing children who have free will, and therefore if the parents are commanding the child to do something wrong, um, I don't believe that the child should obey that command. So that is, if the parent is commanding the child to do something that is clearly against God's will in Scripture, for example, the Bible commands us to love God and to love our neighbor. Those two commands are the summation of the Ten Commandments. So if your parents tell you to do something that is unloving to your neighbor, dishonoring to God, then that would not be something that you should obey. And of course, gray areas exist. We can't cover them all, but in general, I think those principles are what the Bible gives us. So, how should we obey them? The verse says children should obey their parents in the Lord. Now, that phrase is not expressing limitations of obedience, okay? So, it's not saying... Um, only obey parents who are in the Lord or who are Christians. Okay, that's not what it's saying. It's, saying. it's not saying you only have to obey your parents if they're Christians. It is giving us the spirit in which we should obey our parents. You should obey your parents because ultimately you're obeying the Lord. The Lord is com- the one who's commanding you to obey your parents. A simple way uh, as children to please the Lord is to obey your parents. So Colossians 3.20, the parallel verse of this one, puts it this way. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So it's well-pleasing. So why, then, should we obey? Well, the the answer is right here in the verse. It's not one that you might immediately expect or that's been 
uh, always explained to me growing up. You might think, well, you should um, obey your parents because they are wiser than you. I mean, that's not the reason Paul gives us here. Generally, that's true. Sometimes it's not. So that's not the reason Paul gives us. It's not because parents are wiser than us. Um, it's not because of the blood relationship. So if, if you carry, the mother carries their child in the room for nine months and they spent their lives raising them and caring for them, and therefore, for that reason, we, we would think that the child should obey their parents. So that's, while that is a, a, a good reason, it's not the reason that Paul gives us here. The reason that Paul gives us is because it's right. Because God declared it is right for children to obey their parents. And that's what leads us to our next couple of verses in verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So Paul gets this from uh, Exodus 20, 12, where it says, 20, 12, it says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord gives to you. It's from the Ten Commandments, when uh, the Israelites are preparing to uh, enter the promised land, or they're going to enter the promised land in the future. This is, uh, this is one of the commands which God gives the Israelites, to honor your father and mother. So these commands are laws by which all societies from all times can live by. Um, Paul connects the obedience of children back to the original commandments of God. It's true for all generations. So I think, I think here, obeying your parents, the children in the first verse so who are obeying your parents, um, is intended for children who are still dependent on their parents, still under the authority of their parents. But eventually, we are to raise our children where we to become independent. Uh, we learned about that in the last passage, Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we're, we're not intended to stay under the obedient authority of our parents for all our lives. But I do believe that we are to honor our father and mother at all times. <laughs> was that my dad? Oh, my dad's here. I had a lot of examples I was going to use, but then I, I, you were coming, so I had to change them. I was, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't do that. Oh. <laughs> okay, where was I? <laughs> We are always to honor our parents. In fact, this is taken so seriously that later on in Exodus, after the Ten Commandments are given, verbal and physical abuse of one's parents is seen as um, is a reason for capital punishment. So what does it mean to honor your father and, father and mother? Well, to honor someone is to value them highly, to show reverence. And what will that will look like, I think, will vary from family to family. But we do have an example in the New Testament about how children were not honoring their parents, and that is in regards to the law of Corbin. You've probably heard this passage before in Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. He was also saying to them, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and experts in the law, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. 
For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So without going into a lot of detail what the law of Corbin is, uh, in a sense the Pharisees were using this tradition for dubious reasons, not having to give up their financial resources to care for their parents who might have needed it. And the Pharisees, by no means, were, were young children. Um, so this, this applies to all children who have parents, no matter what age. So that's one specific way in which they have not honored their parents. And for you, it may be a different situation. It might be as simple, honoring your parents might be as simple as calling them and talking to them every, every week or day or however often you believe it's necessary. Or maybe it's taking time to visit them. Or providing, maybe it is providing care for them. Or maybe it's sharing the truth of the gospel with them. So it'll be different for each person and each family. Well, verse 3 also tells us the reason by which the Israelites should obey the law, and that is so that they can thrive and live in the land which God has promised them. So even though the commandment in Exodus is to Israel for the promised land, Paul has applied it to the readers, and his readers, and thereby to us today, and if you notice, he has excluded the land portion because that's specifically for uh, was specifically for people of Israel. Um, so let's go on to verse four. The first three verses dealt with children's responsibilities to their parents, but verse four specifically speaks to the parents. Verse four: Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So in your bulletin, the call, this is under the call to bring up children in the Lord. So now the term fathers, which is pateras, can be used to mean parents. I think here, um, I, this, this truth here, I think applies, it's true for mothers and fathers. I think, um, as Pastor Ken has said many times, though, that the scriptures tend to speak to us in our weakness. And so here, um, uh, he uses pateras specifically and pointedly to speak to fathers. But again, I think it's true for both parents. Um, Do not provoke your children to anger. So he begins with a negative exhortation. Paul tells fathers not to provoke their children to anger. This would would be a completely countercultural proposition in the times of the Roman Empire in which they lived, uh, in which his audience lived. Roman men had complete authority over their family. Howard Honer tells us, Howard Honer? Harold Honer. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did I say Howard? Harold Honer tells us, don't look up Howard Honer. Harold Honer tells us the father's control over the son was for life. He could imprison his son, scourge, shame, punish him, sell him into slavery, slavery up to three times, or have him killed. So this concept would have been more foreign to Paul's readers than to us. So what does it mean not to provoke to anger? Well, John MacArthur gives a definition that I think is helpful. It says, To provoke to anger suggests a repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over into outward hostility. Um, I think most parents 
who have children that are full grown can kind of relate to this definition in one way or another. Colossians 3.21, the parallel verse to this one, can help us understand what this means as well. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So as I, as I was studying this, I thought, you know, maybe it would be helpful to give some ways in which I think fathers may exasperate or provoke their children to anger. And of course, the obvious ones are physical, ver- verbal, and spiritual abuse. Um, then there's favoritism. Favoritism can cause bitterness and resentment, like with Jacob and Esau and Joseph and his brothers. Legalism, inflexibility, and unwillingness to show grace can provoke our children to anger. Setting an unattainable standard can demoralize your children and make them lose heart. A constant lack of encouragement and approval can embitter them. A lack of discipline can also be crippling in the wrong, long run. An unwillingness to sacrifice them for them as we have been commanded to do in the Bible will make them feel unloved. So making children responsible for our emotional well-being is also harmful. Fits of rage or anger can cause your child to feel like they have to tiptoe around you and that they are responsible for keeping you uh, calm and happy. And that will embitter them. And of course, there's many other ways in which our, our lack of grace or gentleness or discipline can provoke our children. So I, I, I want to be clear. I don't think that Paul is giving us a, an equation here where he's saying if you do this, this, and this, then you can control the future or fate of your children. That's not what he's doing. I think he's giving us an ideal to follow for children who, uh, these children can be believers and can be spirit-filled as well for children and for parents. He's giving us an ideal to follow and to reach. And of course we'll fail because we are a flawed people in a fallen world. Um, but we do have an ideal that we can strive for by the grace of God through the filling and leadership of the Holy Spirit. So finally, Paul tells fathers, uh, and this is for mothers as well, of course, that we must bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, So fathers are the headship. They are ultimately responsible. But mothers should be teaching and disciplining their children, of course, too. Um, Discipline is simply the necessary rebuke and correction. Instruction is gentle counsel. And all of it needs to be Christ-centered, Christocentric. So all of our instruction discipline must have Christ as its source. So it's important to know the phrase, note the phrase, bring them up. <coughs> our instruction and discipline of, the, of our children must be intentional and nurturing. So when I say nurturing, I mean in a, a continual thing, a daily thing. It is important for us as parents to understand that the first line of defense for our child's faith and spiritual well-being is not the church. It's us as parents. And the church comes along and assists us in that. It's far more likely that your child will continue to practice their faith when they, once they've grown of age and leave if you are consistent in your teaching and teaching them about God and bringing them to church. Um, they can't just be hearing it from here once a week. I think they have to hear it from their parents as well. <coughs> so, we should bring up, our dis- bring up our children in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's conclude. Let's wrap this up. 
in conclusion, I think there are two, two things that we should remember from this passage. First, children should honor their mother and father because it is right and pleasing to the Lord and is for their own well-being. Remember the context of this passage. Children who are filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, should be striving for this ideal to honor and obey their parents. And we have talked about before there being exceptions. We have talked about before that parents should be modeling the submissiveness, modeling the uh, example which Christ has set before us. But overall, the general principle is that we should honor our mother and father, and that is for um, not just young children, but all children everywhere. Secondly, parents should, in gentleness and graciousness, teach their children daily as, with Christ as the center of everything. So the parents, and fathers specifically here, should be teaching and discipl- disciplining their children. Um, but Paul pointedly exhorts the fathers to show graciousness to his children by not provoking the anger and the instruction and discipline. Um, our, our tendencies as, as fathers is to say, obey me. Why? Because I said so. And they should. But maybe it might be good to have a little bit of a gentler approach. Um, uh, we should have in mind um, uh, the idea here not to provoke our children to anger. So, of course, children should obey their parents because it is right. Um, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ideals in which you give us that we can pursue, Lord, that we should be pursuing, Lord, and that we pray that your spirit would guide us in grace and in truth. And Lord, I, uh, I pray that you would give everyone here, especially children who are under authority, give them uh, wisdom and how obeying, they should obey their parents and what that looks like. Give us all the wisdom and what honoring our parents should look like, because that will vary from family to family, God. We thank you for your word. Continue to guide us in it. May Christ be the center of our lives and our, our teachings and all we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.